Our Father and our God, we're so grateful for camp meeting, a time when we can come together and for a time we can think about you and how we can serve you better. Lord, bless our devotional time, but also bless this time, which is more of a mechanical class, how we can be like you in our church relationships. Thank you, Lord, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm sorry again about this screen, but hopefully you can, you can read it from time to time. So the question we want to look at today is what happens when a person joins the church? Now, how many of you have ever lived, let's start here. How many of you have ever moved from one church to another? Most of us have, okay. How many of you have ever lived, not just visited, lived in a different culture? Okay, we have one or two, okay. So that's what we're going to try and talk about this morning. When you go to a new place, even if you'd never been here to camp meeting before, it's going to feel a little different. I just came from Pennsylvania camp meeting. I'd never been to Pennsylvania camp meeting. It was different. It was different for me. Their tents and RV camping is across the street from the main part of the academy campus. A little different. The way they run their program, a little different. And so on. So it took me a day or so to start to feel, if you would say, comfortable. Because the environment is different. We often don't stop and think about that for the new convert. So that's what we want to talk about today, is how is that new person who, for whatever reason, they've moved into the community, or usually we're thinking of, of new people in the sense of evangelism, new to the Adventist message, how do they feel when they walk into your church? How does your church make them feel? What have you, in your church, done, or what do you do to deliberately make them feel welcome? Very interesting questions, and questions we don't sit down and ask ourselves as a church very often, but it's critically important. So yesterday I sat across the table from a pastor from another conference, another state, and he said that just recently he had a, a lady walk into his church, and fortunately he got to talking to her and discovered that she, that was her first time in an Adventist church, she has watched some of our media things online, and that's what led her to come and visit. So suppose, just suppose, if no one had interacted with her in any way other than maybe someone asked her to sign the guest book, uh, what would she have gone away with? Uh, let me tell you one story we had. My wife and I were moving. We work for It Is Written. We were moving from Michigan to California, and we ended up partway on Sabbath. We had the moving truck, a Penske or whatever it was truck, pulling a car. Anyway, we found a church, parked a little ways away. We couldn't get in the church parking lot. Didn't know if I could turn around. Never been there before. So again, see, I'm a stranger. And so we walked the block, whatever, to the church, went in. We were greeted, sat down through all the services, Church is over. We deliberately went in the bathroom. We wandered around, stood around. We had no place to go. Nobody. 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 
We got back in the truck. We drove on a little, just a little bit. Had our lunch, of course. Took naps in the truck through the afternoon. After Sabbath, we continued our trip. How would your church have treated? And I'm not saying I'm anybody. I'm just saying I was a stranger. I was a stranger. I was somebody they didn't know. They didn't know. It may have been my first time in an Adventist church. It may have been I was a regular. It may have been I was a pastor. It may have been whatever. They didn't know because nobody asked. Nobody talked to us. Nobody interacted with us. So that's what we want to talk about today. What happens when a person joins the church? And so we've talked about how it's a whole new world to them. They don't know that Sabbath school, as we usually call it, maybe Bible study would be a better term, is followed by a divine worship hour. Did anybody ever tell them that? How did they learn that? <laughs> Obviously, maybe before the evangelistic series was over, you had that transition where you brought them to church one Sabbath, and the evangelist spoke, who was visiting from wherever, or the conference evangelist, whoever it was. So they did have maybe one Sabbath where they experienced some sort of Bible study hour followed by the worship hour, but not very much uh, exposure, maybe not much explained. Uh, here's Mary's story. So she attended the series of meetings that came to her town, and she realized she needed to start keeping the Sabbath. That's a wonderful thing, right? And by the way, would the church be happy to have somebody join their church? Are we happy to have someone join our church? Not every church is. Now, I'm not trying to shock you. We're pretty comfortable in our church, right? I mean, we know how things work. We know who the power people are. We know how that potluck thing works. We know we're pretty comfortable. And we bring in these new people like Mary. Uh, what might they do? What might? How might they stir us up? You follow what I mean? So we have to think this through. Do we really want new people? Are we willing to give up our, let's call it authority, in the church, if that should be the best thing. Yeah, would we give up our pew? Yeah. Yeah. You know that story, you know, people being asked to move because they sat in someone else's pew. Now, if you have your name on it, that might be fair. But unless you have your name on it, you shouldn't. So Mary decides to keep the Sabbath, and she wants to join the Adventist church, which we believe to be the remnant church, right? There was one problem. For Mary, that is, there was one problem. She was the secretary of the local Catholic church. Paid secretary. Local Catholic church. But she wanted to be an Adventist. And so she talked to the Catholic uh, authorities, and they, of course, agreed that Mary could part ways. But that, of course, would leave her without a job. Well, it just happened that the Adventist church was needing a secretary. And they apparently had a paid position, a large church it must have been. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> most, most of your churches don't have paid secretaries, right? Um, but in this case, that's what it was. So Mary was invited to interview, and she was accepted for the job. She was baptized and soon started to work. Great thing, <laughs> maybe. What Mary didn't know was how difficult things were going to become because all of Mary's family is Catholic. Most of her family obviously didn't understand 
her decision in changing churches. I mean, if you're once Catholic, you're always Catholic. If you're once Methodist, you're always Methodist, right? Um, and so that was a pressure for her. And then you have to add the other that as church secretary, she was invited, in this case, large church, she was invited to sit on the church board. Is that a good thing, by the way? No. no. Too early. Oh, we have some people here with experience, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, so she was invited to sit on the board, and um, that kind of led to some challenges. Pretty soon she felt a little bit isolated from certain church members, and what ended up happening in Mary's case is she um, and several others that had been baptized about the same time, they sort of had formed their own little bond. Remember we talked about cliques and friends yesterday, so they had kind of because they were new and they didn't understand all the ropes. And, and unfortunately, several of them kind of slipped out uh, in a couple of years. So what could the church have done differently? What could they have done differently to have helped Mary in this situation? Um, perhaps part of it would have been for somebody who was more seasoned in the church to have developed closer relationships with her, right? And, and maybe they would have picked up then that she was struggling with whatever, and they might have been able to help her through those things. Yes, brother. Well, I don't think that's what it meant. It's more like what the brother said. There are things sometimes that get said about people or whatever on a church board. That is that what you meant? And we don't want to get too far afield here, but the church board is really supposed to be an evangelism organizing committee. Now, right, but most church boards don't function that way because, well, I mean, maybe there are many reasons, but a simple reason or two is there's so many other things like budget, church budget, even membership issues. And other, you know, expansion, church cleaning, yard work. I mean, there's so many things that have to be done to keep this thing going. So it seems like we need to look at ways to find other, let's call them committees if you please, other groups that would supervise those functions of the church to free up the church board so that the church board could actually spend more time thinking about outreach and evangelism. And so what we're trying to think about today is this new world of the Adventist church. And when we bring people in, do we slow down enough to actually think about how does this impact them? And what are we going to do as a church to make this transition from one type of lifestyle and church to another? Somebody had a hand I saw. Here, yes. Well, I was just going to say, our church has a pastor that's only going to be 15. Okay, that's so good. Thank you. And yes, that's. Third generation Adventists, and they're standing there with their Bible. You need to eat this. You can't eat this. You need to dress like this. You need to do this. You need to do this. I'm like, wait a minute, wait, 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 right. slow down. Where is this, we sh they shall know us by our love, right? Yeah, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa
have these people that the Bible, they just because they got out of the tank doesn't mean they know the Bible. That's right. Let's slow them down here. No. They're babies, right? They're, They're babies. babies. Let the milk. baby develop, right? Let the baby grow. So I was in the lunch line a couple weeks ago, not at camp meeting, and uh, we're we're getting our food each. And this lady behind me, somehow the conversation came just right, and I said, "We do not believe in salvation by food." And she was quiet. We don't believe in salvation by food, do we? Jesus said very clearly what goes in here comes out. You know, that's not what, it's the tongue and how we use that that really, it says more about us. Now, I'm not against the healthy diet and all of that. Please understand me. But sometimes it's easy for us to get focused on minor issues. On minor issues. Do we want this person in the church or not? Are we willing for them to be here? I was just had lunch with a pastor today and he said when he came to his church, I'm going to tell you what he told me. At Potluck, he said they had the sirloin steak, they had the fancy fish, they had the vegetarian, and they had the vegan. He said the only problem, well, several, but one problem was that the vegetarian and the vegan looked, he, this is what he said, looked like somebody had just kind of thrown it together. But the fish and the steak, and that was taken care of properly. He got it changed. I'm here to tell you, thank the Lord. God led him, blessed him, and he was able to do it, apparently in the right way, because there's excitement about the change. But my point is, we do not believe in salvation by veganism. We do not believe in salvation. I've been a vegetarian since I was about six years old. I believe it. But please, that's not our gospel. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. If we were to debate, to, to, to kind of force anything on somebody, that's what it should be, right? That God loves you. And yes, you may have a taste for this fish or for this steak, but, you know, God will change you. You'll, you'll develop taste for something else. That's right. So to have new people come in, by definition, means we have to change as well as they have to change. Yes, that's very true. Very true. So then what we're actually saying is to say we want to grow our church. We want new people in our church. We are saying we want change. That we're willing to, to we're willing to see that change and experience that change. Good stuff. Good stuff. So let's look at this. Um, this, you can't even read it. Can you see his name up there? Because I can't pronounce it. Svir Lesgard, he did a study on culture shock, okay? When you go into a strange place, a strange environment, what happens? And this is what he describes, is of course at first, these people have come to the evangelistic meeting, they've learned new things, they've heard about these Bible truths, and of course the evangelist, whether it's the local pastor, the presenter, whoever it is, the evangelist is, gets them excited, rightfully so, and by the way, there's a certain momentum, and the Holy Spirit, I believe, works with that momentum as you have meetings 20 nights in a row, not necessarily in a row, but in the course of three or four weeks. There's a certain excitement, anticipation that comes with that, right? Um, yeah, you could say. It's all, they're excited, it's all new, but they don't quite get the changes that really 
And of course, it's very um, theoretical. It's very perfection. And they have blinders. And so they, they've heard some beautiful stuff. The second coming for the first time. Maybe the state of the dead. Whatever it is that, that really you know, encourages them and helps them. So there's an excitement and anticipation. And they think, of course, that we all have that same excitement and that we have that, that, and that we are living exactly as the pastor described. So there's this certain excitement, anticipation, and now they come to your church. And they come to your church and they find out that you have a broken toilet, that you know, whatever. Something needs to be painted. It isn't as perfect as they thought. Somebody left early. Somebody came late. You know, whatever it is. And then, of course, eventually they sort of balance out. And then they and we <laughs> adapt to where they get to that place where they feel like they belong. They're part of us. So we have to think about this. How are we going to help them through? Because this will happen. And I lived in French-speaking countries for a while. And I can tell you this is true. This is the way you feel. You know, at first you're excited. It's a new place and new people and wonderful. But when you get there and find out, well, yeah. <laughs> so, the new believer's journey. Um, we could even call it the honeymoon stage, you know, where they first start out, they're all excited. Even we're excited to have these new people coming in. We've been coming to these meetings ourselves. We're, we're, you know, it's a, it's a special time in a church when we see new people coming. And the baptism, I mean, that should be the top of the most exciting thing that ever happens in a church, right? And, you know, one time I remember in the UP when I baptized a lady, she came up, you know, her hands up, and she was just praising the Lord, as were we. But it was exciting. It is exciting. But the next week, for that person, it's not quite so exciting. You know, we're not congratulating them. We're not giving them the same amount of attention. It's a little bit more ho-hum, a little bit more uh, ordinary life. Um, So, of course, the honeymoon stage is this passionate, enthusiastic stage just before, maybe just after baptism. They still have a bit of blinders. They're not seeing all of our blunders and things yet. And they still expect a whole lot, even thinking that they must not be seeing what they're seeing in us, in the church, and hoping that we're really better than we are, more idealistic, like the evangelist had presented. And... Uh, then, of course, very idealistic because they're new to it. Uh, of course, for them, once they've accepted these new truths, they assume everyone in the room has no disagreement on them. Uh, you and I know that's not necessarily true, right? There can be, and that's all right. We're all growing. But for them, it's a new thing. And, of course, then you have this issue of victory over sin. Let's call it the cigarette. Let's call it alcohol. Whatever it is, that may be a challenge for them. After a few weeks, when life sort of settles down, that enthusiasm and excitement is gone, it's easy for those things, and I just mentioned those two because they're evident, but there are others, those things, it's easy for them to creep back in, right? Because now it's just sort of 
um, whatever. And then, of course, at first the members went out of their way to welcome them, hopefully. <laughs> but now they're just one of us. Now it's time for you to get to work, you know, kind of thing, if that. Um, so they, it, it can be really different. So from the honeymoon kind of comes that disillusioned, discouraged time, perhaps. And so this is where we have to, as existing church members, this is where we have to kick in. Realize this is going to have to happen. Uh, do you bring them to your home? We talked about eating with people at the potluck lunch. Very, very important. Very critical. But what about actually getting them to someone's home? Even more important. You all understand how important it is that that you be in someone's home to really know them, right? For example, but when I enter your home, and I'm not special, when I enter your home, in moments I've learned volumes about you. Right? I don't know if all of you understand what I just said, but it's very, very true. So when we interact by going to each other's homes, is it biblical, by the way? So we should be entertaining. I heard about a church here this week that that's one of the things they're emphasizing. They have a potluck every Sabbath, but from the front, in the bulletin, and so on, they're saying, invite people home. Invite people home. Make friends at home. Is that important? Absolutely. For somebody like this, like you said, they come to your home, you can read the Bible together, you can sing, you can maybe get some people there that play instruments, I mean, whatever. And you have a fun time together. Take them out for the walk in the woods or whatever you do. But now you're with them and they're with you. And instead of them being influenced using Mary as our example by the Catholic family, she was attached to, obviously, now she begins to be attached to you. She finds that you're nice people. You have interests too. You do things besides just go to church. You're real people. You have real lives. You like popcorn in the evening or whatever it is. You know, you, you're real people with, with interests and so on. Yes, brother. Yes, yes. And that's an important thing that gets communicated to them, isn't it? That we're not saints. We're not perfect. We're all on this path. We're on a journey together. Searching for the kingdom. We believe certain things the same, of course. But even those things, how we apply them and so on, may be a little little bit different. So you've brought up a good point. Who teaches them how to keep the Sabbath? Who teaches them how to have a daily devotional life? Who teaches them how to pray? Who teaches them some of these basic Christian functions that are essential to a Christian life? That becomes our duty, our responsibility. You can't just say, well, the pastor will do it for everyone. He can't and he won't. And so we have to pick that up. So people can discover politics in the church. Now, hopefully your church doesn't have any of those, but some do. Uh, but again, friendships can supersede some of this, right? Knowing you, knowing people in the church. Um, Talking about Mary again, her family members are going to ask questions, right? What about this text? This text here seems to say you don't need to keep the law. 
Of course it was mentioned to her in the meetings. But is she going to remember that explanation at that point? At the time, it made sense to her, enough to, to help her make her decision. But is she going to be able to argue? I don't mean argue, but is she going to be able to present that to someone else? Probably not. But if you're there and she says to you, because you're calling her every other day or whatever, she says to you, you know, I'm having a little trouble with my mom. She's been arguing, yeah. She's been arguing with me about this, this, whatever. You can say, well, look, I found, I've got this little book. I've got this, whatever. I can call the pastor. We can get a Bible verse. You know, we can help you with this. Now she doesn't feel like she's dealing with that alone. There's somebody to help her. It'll be easier for her to, to stick with it and to hang in there. Um, so, friends outside the church, of course, they're, they're going to give her all the reasons that she doesn't need to make this change or continue this way. And then, of course, often friends inside the church are hard to come by. We have our groups, our family, our friends, our Sabbath afternoon activities. We're going here, we're doing that. Uh, but how does that new person meld in and find friends in the church? I've forgotten the number, but they're saying there's a certain number of friends relationship friends you must have in the church or you probably won't stay. Now, for those of us that are lifers, that's not a problem. We know many people. We have you know, more or less relationships with many people. But for that new person, how do they get those friendships? How do they get those relationships? needs to start in that local church. Then, of course, you bring them here to camp meeting and they expand that circle a little bit. And then and so and so, it, it, it can grow. But unless they find a couple or three people in their local church, we find most of the time people will not stay. Okay, so for the recording, she's saying that when people come to the church, they often lose their previous friends because obviously now you have disagreements. And you can't, you, the new person, can't persuade the old person of the reasons they're doing what they're doing and those people they've left obviously won't change immediately. Um, yes. Okay. But has he found friends in the church now? See? Yeah. Very important. Then here's another one that's a real challenge. So this new person comes in, they're in for a few months, and then those, I mentioned habits a moment ago, just for illustration. Uh, and so they start feeling... They know those things are wrong. The Holy Spirit convicted them that they needed to make whatever changes. But now those struggles are back. They really are real struggles. And now they feel guilt if they slip back. And so this can be a real problem. I, 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 I don't belong here because I'm guilty now of you know whatever it is. And so again, are we prepared? Are we ready to help them with that? To to forgive them. Let's be clear. They're going to make blunders, right? And and maybe overt blunders, out, outright blunders. You might find out that they worked on a Sabbath. Now, what are you going to do? You're going to disfellowship them? This new person? No. You work with them. You work with them. Try to strengthen their, starts with F, their faith that God will take care of them. God will provide for them. God will give them victory over whatever it is that they're struggling with. Very, very real issues. We don't think about these things very often. 
uh, in dealing with people. So, honeymoon, I don't know exactly how long for different people. I'm sure it would be different periods of time, but not very long. They're going to get into this space, right? Because we're such wonderful people. It won't take them very long to see that we have uh, our bumps and bruises. Uh, and it's very easy then for them to find that exit door, you know, just not show up. And uh, nobody calls them because they don't have any friends yet, we're assuming. Nobody calls them. Nobody notices until some board meeting six months later. And the clerk says, by the way, has anyone seen Mary? Now it's six months. It's kind of too late. Mary's back with her friends, rightfully so, and going on with her life. And it may be very, very difficult. Where if we had responded right away and started lavishing her with love and compassion and interest, we might have been able to brought her back. Sure. Okay, very good point. So she, I mean, for the recording there, there, she's talking about single people who come into the church and how do we deal with single people. So we need to get either, like someone said, go as teams. Two ladies could visit a single man. Or a lady and a man could visit the single man, or of course two men. Uh, and teams are an excellent idea anyway, by the way. Just very excellent. Because when one, pe when one person is speaking, the other person is praying. And, and of course, there's wisdom in numbers, you know. And one person doesn't have the right idea, the other person might have just the thing. And so if we can go two by two, it's an ideal thing. If you can't, then maybe you could find a man to do it. And you might be the one to have to call some brother in the church and say, or a deacon or an elder or whoever, and just say, brother, you know, this person hasn't responded for a while or whatever it is, and see if you can get them to make connection. Um, sometimes if somebody is willing or able to, to notice and flag that this person needs a contact, it might be sufficient. Most churches count. We have a clerk here. That's why I keep looking here. Most churches count at a certain time of the year, right? Um, but that's just a count. So you, you're a step beyond that. Now, I have to admit, as a pastor, I tried to do that from the front, but but you're still limited. You know, you forget, you, you're busy, you're distracted, whatever. Even now, my wife and I will go home from church and we'll say, hmm, so-and-so wasn't there. And, right. An hour later, we'll say, hey, did you notice that so-and-so wasn't there? And You know, it's just kind of built into us. Uh, wow. Wow. Praise the Lord. Okay. Send a bulletin was the suggestion there. Very good idea. Yes. Thank you. Jim. How very important. Very, thank you. That's a success story. For the recording, uh, they invited a gentleman home who'd been there most of a year and no one had invited him to lunch. And they invited him several weeks successively, it sounds like, more or less, until they got him connected with several people in the church and could carry on as a young person. Very, very good. Thank you. I know another pastor that did a regular email on Friday night would send out to the church list. Um, we do want to be honest and say there's nothing like a personal touch, however. You know, somebody thought of me. 
I mean, I appreciate that even now when somebody will write and say, hey, we missed you last Sabbath. Well, they knew I was on business perhaps, but still, that they missed me. It still it gives you a nice feeling, right? It gives you a, a definite welcome back so that the next time you're able, you want to be part of that, of that group. So continuing um, the way the psychologists did after the disillusionment part, fortunately, is the good news. They can settle in. They can become part of us. And I don't want to mean settle in in the sense of becoming, um, um, how do I want to say it positively? <laughs> Help me out. Uh, right. We want them to feel at home. We want them to know this is their church. But that's really the goal, and we're trying to get them through. Now, for some people, this may happen fairly rapidly. For other people, it may take a little longer because of their shyness, their whatever. They're, they, they may be more reserved. Um, well, there you go. Our goal is not to just get members, but really to make disciples, right? So we want them to be welcome, but we want them then to become workers, whatever that means for them with their skill sets. May mean teaching a children's class. May mean teaching an adult class. It may mean, you know, after some time, of course. Um, whatever it may mean for them, but you want to get them involved. Maybe it's getting them involved in the, in the potlucks, you know, in the fellowship meals. But getting them involved so that, I'll tell you a little story. It happened right down here. I don't know how many of you know Russell Thomas. But just a way of getting people involved. He would visit people until he could get them to come to church one Sabbath. One Sabbath. They're at church. After the Sabbath school, sometime before they go home, he would come up to them and he would say, did you enjoy the Bible study time that we had this morning? And of course, they would usually say yes. And he'd say, by the way, could you help me out? Next week, would you be willing, you know how we have a little bit for each day, right? There's something for each day. Would you be willing to do Tuesdays? Just Tuesdays? Just think of a question or something you could ask the group here. And, and I'll be here. I'll help you. Don't worry. But would you be willing? One question from Tuesday. What did he do? As soon as she says yes, what's she done? She promised to be here next week. How do you get a promise for someone to come back the next week as a visitor? I thought it was a genius idea. Now there's risk. I understand. There's risk. This person may not say the right thing. They may not ask it in the right way. But are we willing to take that risk? Are we willing to take that risk to be able to meld a new person into our church group? We know what we believe, no matter what they say. And you know how to respond, right, when they say whatever they say. That's interesting. And then you turn to the Bible for what the Bible says. That's all you have to say. You know, my mom died and went to heaven. What do you say? That's interesting. Let's look at what the Bible says here in Ecclesiastes. The dead know not anything. No problem. It doesn't have to upset us. It's just what they said. They haven't learned yet. They, haven't, they don't understand everything. And everybody understands. Yes, not a problem. But I thought it was... A new... So there are different ways that we can find, if we're thinking this way, how do we engage these people? Without, without compromising our standards, without, you know what I'm saying, we're not wanting to give the church away. No, we're not wanting to do that. But how do we 
tie them in, get them involved, so that it becomes their church. So when somebody comes to visit them, they'll say, come on over, this is our church. They're not baptized yet, but this is our church. This is our church. Come on over. So, we want to make disciples. Uh, this says, what do you want in a new believer's life? We'll go rather quickly. We're kind of out of time here. What's the most important thing? Not just for the new people, right? This is for all of us. This is where we all struggle. I think we can honestly say for all of us, this is where we struggle, right? Personal, devotional life. This is what we need. This is where the devil attacks us. This is where he works. If he can separate us here, he's accomplished his goal. doesn't matter if we attend church on Sabbath or not. He can break our connection with God. He's accomplished his mission. Of course, we want to get them involved in outreach and evangelism when the time is right and so on. Remember, by the way, of course, this new... Well, let me tell you, I, I was talking to a, the whole story. I told you about Kelly yesterday, the man who hadn't been visited in 22 years. I met his wife here. She's a Bible worker. I think I told you that. And she said to me, you know, here we have this um, BibleStudy.com, right? She said, she's a Bible worker, conference-paid Bible worker in the Grand Rapids area. She says, I don't follow any of those names. The church members do that. She's a Bible worker. I said, where do you get your names? Oh, she said, that's simple. So then she started, and I can't repeat her story. She started studying with Mary. Mary and her husband said they'd met this lady at, church, at uh, the store that had a health problem. They'd never met this lady before. But they gave that lady's name to Andrea is her name. Some of you may know her. They gave her Andrea the name. Andrea contacted that person, and she, with a little help, a little assistance, she started Bible studies. Nosy neighbor came over to that neighbor to see what was going on, and she started Bible studies with them. And that's so. My point is, when this person comes in, and we'll use Mary because that's the story we told. If Mary gets sort of settled in the church, is Mary going to know anybody else that she would like to know about this? Now, how are you going to help her to be able to work with those people? You don't have to necessarily find the people. Mary will find them. She knows her sister and her friend and her work associate and whoever that she's talking to and they're asking questions. They're candidates right there. But we want them to get involved in outreach and evangelism, but in the right way. We've got to kind of slow them down sometimes when they're too enthusiastic. We want them involved in church, not too involved, but involved enough that they know it's theirs. They take some ownership. And then, of course, we, want to, we talked about building a network of Christian friends. And, of course, we want them to grow in theological maturity. We want them to understand the truths of the Bible in a, in a meaningful and practical way. Uh, we'll conclude here with this thought from the Bible. You know this. This is about the old elder brother. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment. Can you say that, by the way, about God? You've never transgressed his commandment uh, at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. The elder brother was unconverted, right? He didn't know God. Prodigal son, he did all the terrible things, but he did come back. He did come home. He did want to have a relationship with his father. This son, what did he want? He wanted his inheritance, but he was willing to wait for it. But 
he had no real relationship with his father, unfortunately. But as soon as, notice, this son of yours came, who was has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. So here's a list of some of the common errors of the Pharisees. Let's make sure this isn't us. These are in your notes, I think. Judge those who think differently from you. Very easy. We talked about it yesterday. We have our standard of what someone looks, a Christian looks like. Every one of us has a different uh, standard. So it's easy to judge those who look different than we expect the way we've created that in our, our mind. Somehow the Pharisee expects people to become instantly mature. How many of you are spiritually mature? Perfect, in other words. But we're fully committed, right? That's the difference. That's what we want. Full commitment. And the maturity will come. God will take care of that. Um, become resentful when a new believer has a more passionate relationship with God than they do. Ah, this is a challenge for us. A new person comes in and they have more excitement about this message than we do because we've been here so long, we think we know it all. Uh, it's great to feed on their excitement. Instruct people instead of loving them. Who was it that talked about telling people how they shouldn't eat? Worry about the minor matters of the law. The Pharisees thought they were doing it right. If you weren't doing it the way they did it, you had to be wrong. Could be that way in our church. Let's be careful. Maybe we'll skip this one. So the question is, the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. It's not about jewelry, but authority. And sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. He made him a real son again. The father wanted to grow his family. Do we, are we like the father or are we like the, the elder son? We want to grow our church family. That's what we, uh, we want to do. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was what? Was dead. But is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Let us pray. Father God, it's been a little painful to talk about some of this today because we are thinking of real people that somehow have either been discouraged or have just drifted away from your church and none of us, including us sitting here, noticed. Lord, help us to prevent this from ever happening in the future. May we go back to our churches and think in a different way of creating an environment that would welcome not only just visitors from other places, but new people who have never experienced this culture of Adventism before. Bless us to this end. Bless as we continue to study how to keep members in our church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.